Hello, and welcome back to another Fat Podcast. I'm Dr. Fred Clary, founder of Functional Analysis Chiropractic Technique, a chiropractic technique based on movement and breathing. Well, in today's episode, we have a huge treat. We have dietitian, registered dietitian, Aaliyah Lester Fight coming on board to cover some of the, the topics that I've touched on over the last um, couple of years, but really to dive into some basic foundational understanding of diet, which is your food intake, everything you eat. You're just not trying to lose weight. So your diet, nutrition, nutritional fads, sports nutrition, and let's just get a handle on what we put in our mouths here and uh, find out really if we are what we eat. Let's go ahead and welcome Aaliyah Lester Fight. Three, two, one. Well, we have a special treat today. We have Aaliyah Fight. She's a registered dietitian. She's also a national level triathlon athlete. And I thought today we would do something a little different. We would cover nutrition a little in depth. I know I've covered some vitamins and micronutrients, and I think I covered protein last year, but I want to put it all together in a package and have an expert on. So uh, welcome, Aaliyah. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell the audience a little, give a little background, a little bit about your uh, resume. Okay, so as you said, I'm a registered dietitian. So what that means is I went to an accredited school. Um, I have my master's in nutrition and dietetics. I did um, many, many hours of practice rotations, kind of like a medical student does. They okay. do their rotations. And then you study and you sit for a very scary exam. And <laughs> <laughs> when you pass, you almost pass out afterwards, or maybe that's just me. Um, and then, yeah, and then you get your credentials. And then many states, most states also require you to be licensed to practice. But generally, all that is, is proving that you're um, accredited with the national body, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And then you give them money and they give you a license to practice. <laughs> give them money. I understand that. All the boards we have to be accredited for. It seems like it's a, another tax by the state. So, yeah. Right. But why the reason that's important, though, is that there's a lot of people out there that call themselves nutrition coaches or mm -hmm. health coaches or even nutritionists. Um, and it, those people may have taken a course or two. I'm not saying that they don't have any nutrition education, but they didn't. They don't have to have gone to an accredited program that's, you know, research based, and you know, all the teachers are accredited through a university, and mm -hmm. they haven't done the same kind of practice hours and haven't had to take an exam to prove that what they know is correct, <laughs> um, and all of that stuff. So. There's an important distinction. A lot of people in my field, we get called nutritionists. Okay. And I mean, a lot of us just kind of roll with it. And even the academy made an adjustment. It used to be registered dietitian. And that's still, I generally just use that moniker because it's easier. But you'll also see the term registered dietitian nutritionist. Um, and that's the same thing. I think the, the academy was trying to take ownership back of that, that word and also make our our title a little bit more user-friendly because 
many times people hear registered dietitian and they get a little turned off or they get intimidated and they're like, well, I don't, I don't need a dietitian. I don't have diabetes. I don't, you know, yeah. have kidney disease. And yes, we do. We are, you know, licensed to practice in those fields. That's the other thing that's important is somebody who's not a registered dietitian or a registered dietitian nutritionist are not legally allowed to give nutrition advice when it comes to certain diseases. So yeah. diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, yeah. kidney disease, that kind of stuff. Now, a lot of people still do, but technically, legally, they're not supposed to because they don't have the education base to handle that, but um, or handle that in a safe and ethical way. <laughs> I should say, hey, let me pull a caveat there. Um, but a uh, registered dietitian doesn't necessarily only deal with that subsect mm. of individuals. We also do a lot with just general weight maintenance or weight loss, or maybe you just want to be overall healthier and eating a more balanced diet and you're not sure where to start, or maybe you're an athlete and you want to enhance your performance or be able to get the most out of your competitions. So there's, there's a lot of different avenues that we're, we're in. Um, but there is that importance of that distinction between somebody who's actually has, has the education and the accreditation behind them and who is someone who does not. Well, and that is the reason Lee, I wanted you on because, um, with the pandemic and, you know, I know everybody was saying, you know, you have to eat this way and you can build your immune system this way. And I knew some basics, but I know that if someone, you know, has an autoimmune disease, I'm not qualified to take care of them. And I also know, and I'll, I'll put, I will put my foot and make a line in the sand that even GPs don't have enough education that a registered dietitian has. And they're not making, when it comes to nutrition, not when it comes to nutrition. And that's, that's why I wanted to bring you on to the program today. And let's, let's just start with some basics because I know the people listening out there, you know, they hear the word nutrition and they're like, well, I eat three times a day. I'm good. Um, let's just start real basic. What is nutrition? Well, that's, I mean, that's a big question. So nutrition can be a lot of things. So okay. obviously it's the food that you eat. Okay. Um, it could be vitamins that you take or supplements that you take, obviously. Um, water, your hydration, I would argue is also a part of your okay. nutrition. Yeah. Um, we talk about the five food groups, but I often also say, well, there's kind of a sixth food group and I call it water. Oh. Uh, and a Many, many times people kind of don't equate water with their nutrition. So maybe okay. they're eating great, but then they're just drinking pop all day okay. and they're not drinking any water. And there are people out there that drink zero water a day. Yeah. Uh, so that is also an important part of nutrition. And so nutrition as a whole just kind of encompasses, I would say encompasses all those things, the food that you eat, the things that you drink, the supplements that you take all of those, all of those things. So what are, what are the six food groups? Let's go over that because I think I learned them in like junior high, but that right. was like 45 years ago. So. And that's back when they were still doing the pyramid. And we yes, we had a pyramid and it was colored. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the pyramid we had found to be not, it was, you know, decided not, we found it to not be accurate many okay. years ago. So 
now the government does my plate. It's a plate method. So yeah. it's myplate.gov. You can see what it looks like. But um, so essentially the, the, the sixth food group, obviously I call water, okay. but the other five would be your grains, your protein, um, your dairy items, your fruits and your vegetables. Okay. Um, now you do also want to think about healthy fats and stuff like that. So there's kind of seven, but many of the things that you get your healthy fats from fall into one of those five food groups already. Okay. So okay. generally they'll, they'll fall into protein or grains or, you know, that kind of stuff Okay. or your dairy items. So well, that, those would be your main food groups. And that, and that's one thing, you know, I want to talk about is that there's a, there's so many ways to approach diet. And when I tell, when I ask a patient being a chiropractor, Hey, what's your diet? Like, they're like, I'm not on a diet. I'm not trying to lose weight. A am I correct <laughs> in saying diet is everything you take in? Yes. Okay. I would agree with you. Okay. And that's kind of, again, that's that misconception and why people are often intimidated or okay. scared off by the term registered dietitian because they're like, well, diet, I'm not on a diet. Yeah. Like, well, technically everything that you eat is part of your diet. Okay. Diet doesn't have to mean, oh, I'm cutting 500 calories a day and only eating these certain foods. I'm on the keto diet. I'm yeah. on the paleo diet. I'm on the cabbage soup diet or whatever <laughs> the crazy other crazy things that they're all, all there's always something new. Um, celery juice or well, I don't know there's there's all sorts of crazy ones out there but yeah your diet doesn't necessarily have to be mad your diet is everything that you consume on a daily basis that's your diet that's what it means okay and so there's a difference between your diet and being on a diet okay gotcha gotcha and there's another uh a euphemism that's out there a lot and I wanted you to at least touch on it. You are what you eat. Is that true? Um, yes and no. Okay. okay. There are, you know, there are cases where, yes, in the sense that if, you know, you're eating certain things or you're eating, let's say in a less balanced or unhealthier ma manner for a long time that okay. can lead to a lot of the uh, chronic diseases that we see now, heart disease, diabetes, wow. high blood pressure, kidney disease, all that wow. kind of stuff. Okay. Um, now that's not also not necessarily the case. So there's, you know, people who eat healthy that have a really strong genetic factor when it comes to some of those things and may develop them anyway. Now that doesn't mean you can't fight against it. Okay. You know, you can, you can always fight against your genetics. Um, you know, but it just, it really, it's, it's situational. So yes, there are a lot of people that have, you know, acquired, let's say, uh, these chronic diseases because of certain lifestyle factors that okay. they're practicing on a daily basis. And it, and it's also not necessarily just food. It could be a food, it's food, it's exercise, it's hydration, it's other habits like alcohol drinking or smoking yep. or yeah, the okay. use of other substances, whatever it may be. Um, so, but you know, some of that stuff is still stuff that you take in, but there's, there's kind of a, again, that's, it's a long-winded answer, but yes and no. <laughs> well, and that's why we're on a podcast. You can be long-winded. 
And there's something that you said that I want to touch on genetic factors, because I have friends, I'm 55 now, I have friends that can eat pizza, you know, go to the buffet, and they're in their 40s and 50s. And they stay in pretty good shape from the outside. You know, mm -hmm. if I look at a slice of pizza, I, I gain two pounds. Um, so is that genetics? I mean, you know, the because what when someone says, well, go ahead. Yeah, some of it is genetics, obviously, but just because somebody looks fit and healthy on the outside does not necessarily mean that they are metabolically healthy on the inside. Ooh, so you can you unpack that? Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, about you that. can't. It's that. It's that again. That old adage of you can't judge a book by by its cover. Okay. And that also plays into body types because there's okay. all sorts of different body types. Yeah. There, you know, there's bigger, there's smaller, there's different shapes, there's top heavy, there's bottom heavy, there's you know. There's tall, there's short or petite um, or fun size. You know, okay. I'm just speaking as a fun size person, uh, you know, so there's different, there's all sorts of different body types. And I wouldn't say that one is necessarily better than the other. And you could put two people side by side and one could be skinny and one could be maybe a little heavier set but you don't know what's going on inside their bodies. The skinny one could have all sorts of issues. Like there's people who are skinny that have diabetes or wow. that have wow. heart disease or high blood pressure. I've seen that. You yeah, know, and yeah. then you could have a heavier set person that they're, you know, they eat balance, they, you know, do exercise and, you know, they're actually metabolically really healthy, but as a society, we tend to look at those people and be like, oh, well, they don't take care of themselves. They're not healthy. Okay. Um, I recently watched uh, a show on Netflix. It was, it was like David Letterman's and he was okay. interviewing Lizzo. And she was talking about, you know, you look at Lizzo and you assume that she's out of shape. She can't yeah. do anything. But then you watch her perform and she's dancing and singing and rapping and playing the flute all in like the same performance. And she talked about, you know, she works out, she, you know, she works out to a, you know, more intense level than a lot of the average people. And she, it was kind of funny. She was like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll work a bitch. It's fine. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. so you can't, yeah, you can't necessarily judge a, a book by its cover. You know, mm -hmm. I have had people that I've known that are thin, but don't eat healthy and all of a sudden they're developing ulcers and you know and they again they look thin and fit on the outside but on the inside you just you don't know what's going on just by looking at them necessarily oh that that's amazing that's amazing so some more basics i wanted to cover um macronutrients and micronutrients what are the difference between those so it's kind of in the name macro means bigger molecules, obviously. So that's going to be your carbs, your fat, your protein, your micronutrients, smaller molecules. So those are the things that you generally find in those food groups that give you those macronutrients. So your vitamins, your minerals, so okay. vitamin, your water soluble vitamins, which would be your vitamin C, all your B vitamins. Okay. Um, and then like your fat soluble vitamins, which are, you know, vitamin D, E, K, um, all those kind of things. And then your minerals, so calcium, potassium, okay. chloride, magnesium, you know, all those, all those kind of things. I usually tell my patients, and please tell me if I'm correct, I hope I am, 
So I've been telling them this for 30 years. I tell them to stay away from the box if you want to eat healthy, meaning processed foods and all that, because they have less micronutrients. Is that true? Not necessarily. Okay. Yeah. That's why I want to, we're doing this. Uh, just because something is, is it comes in a box doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. And, okay. you know, and I, I used to fall into that too, where I'm like, shop the perimeter of the grocery store, you yeah, know, don't go yeah. to the center aisles. Go around the outside. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The outside is great. And you can, yes, you can find a lot of whole foods around the outside, but by not going into those center aisles, you're also missing out on some of those things, mainly like your whole grains. Oh, okay. You can get whole grain brown rice in a box. <laughs> you can okay. get quinoa okay. in a bag. You can okay. get beans in a can. Um, and those are all great whole grains that you can, you know, definitely put into your body. They make great whole wheat tortillas. Now they make, um, you know, great whole grain crackers. They make crackers out of nuts, wow. you know, so wow. you can get things. The, the food industry has definitely, I mean, obviously for, for a long time, it did go highly processed, okay. but I, I feel like in the last handful of years, there has been uh, a shift. And more companies are putting out more quality products in packages because more, I think, especially with the pandemic and everything, more people have, have been paying attention to their nutrition. Okay. And when there's a demand for something, it, you know, helps expand the market. For example, I, I have celiac disease, so okay. it's an autoimmune disease means that I can't eat anything with gluten in it. When I what first is gluten? So gluten is the, the protein component of your grain, uh, okay. certain grains. So wheat, barley, or rye. Okay. So I can't eat anything that has wheat, barley, or rye in it. But when I first went gluten-free, which was 16 plus years ago, there was nothing available. I okay. struggled for years trying to find stuff to eat and what could I eat? What couldn't I eat? There weren't, you know, alternatives. I didn't have bread for a really long time. I didn't have pasta for a really long time. And I love pasta. Like pasta's like <laughs> everyone for me. loves pasta. So it was it was really hard. Yeah. And then there was a fad that happened. Now, generally, I'm not a big fan of fads, mm -hmm. but a mm -hmm. lot of people are like, oh, I gotta eat gluten-free because it's healthier, which not not necessarily the case. Um, but what it ended up doing, I mean, part of it annoyed me because I'm like, I have to eat gluten-free. All of y'all don't have to eat gluten-free. And, but what it did do was expand the industry as far as gluten-free products. Now, because I work with, so I work at Hy-Vee, I probably should have said that at the beginning. So I'm a Hy-Vee registered dietitian. So I work in the grocery store. Okay. At Hy-Vee, there's, there's a whole aisle and freezer case just dedicated to gluten-free products. And that's wow. not to mention wow. all the other gluten-free products that are mixed in throughout the store. Okay. So I have a whole double-sided aisle dedicated to products just for me. And so it's, it's kind of that demand creates, you know, an expansion in products that are available. So yes, it is good to walk the perimeter, obviously produce, your whole meats, stuff like that, dairies, all those kind of things. But there's also some really great products in the center aisles that you can find in packages. Wow, that's that's something new. So I, I'll have to tell people that. So if now that I'm going to change kind of my recommend my general recommendation to some of these patients, how do you tell them when they pick up the box? What are they looking for? 
So it really depends on, on what the product is. Um, and something that is a great resource with, uh, high. So Hy-Vee has dietitians, which is kind of newer to, to the industry. Not a lot of grocery stores have obviously dietitians. I've never heard of it before. That's amazing. I know. (laughs) So I really like it because then I'm right there by the food. I'm right there by the food. I can, you know, we can go out, I can have somebody in my office that I'm offering nutrition counseling to. And if they're like, okay, I need something for this. I'm like, great, let's walk out into the aisle. Here's where it is. Wow. And that, that to me is really helpful because why not? Why not have nutrition experts where the food is? Yeah. And so one thing that I, I do is I offer grocery store tours okay. and all the Hy-Vee dietitians offer this. So you can look and see what Hy-Vee is closest to you and find that dietitian okay. that covers okay. that store. And you can do it in personally or virtually, but it's a free service. And we literally do a grocery store tour focused on whatever topic that you need, whether it's okay. diabetes, okay. heart disease, just general nutrition, weight maintenance, sports nutrition. Okay. Uh, there's even uh, fertility and lactation tours. There's, wow. um, yeah. So there's, there's gluten-free ones, there's food allergy ones, and that's a great time to walk the store, whether virtually or in person and really get to know, okay, what am I looking for in a nutrition label? Because that can also be dependent on what your specific needs are. Now, obviously, when you're looking for a whole grain product, you want to make sure, you know, it's actually whole grain. So if I'm going down the rice aisle, I'm looking for whole grain brown rice or wild rice without a bunch of additives or anything like that. I want the ingredient list to maybe be one or two things. I want it to be brown rice and if it's dry brown rice, just brown rice. But, <laughs> you know, if it's a, in a package, so sometimes, because sometimes I am lazy, but I also still like wild rice and okay. you can get pre-cooked wild rice in a can. Um, and in that case, I look for the wild rice and obviously there's going to be water and generally some salt to help preserve it. Okay. So again, that's, I don't have high blood pressure, so I'm not as concerned about the amount of sodium, the small amount of sodium that's in there and I'm still getting a whole grain. I didn't have to spend two hours cooking it and exactly. <laughs> I get tasty wild rice, yes. you know? But then when you're looking for, say, canned beans or canned vegetables, because you're still getting vegetables in, which is good. It really depends. I mean, I generally steer most people towards ones that say no salt added. So you're looking for zero, you know, all right. I mean, zero sodium, preferably, but generally no salt added so that you're at the most, there's generally going to be like 15 milligrams of sodium in there. But and, and just as a rule of thumb, that's always a great thing to look for when looking at canned things, because okay. canned things, we tend to be really high in sodium. But again, now there's really great products out there that are no salt added. You can get no salt added black bees. And again, even though I don't have issues with high blood pressure, I still get no salt added canned things because the amount of sodium that's in there is still really high. And then okay. I can control the salt content when I'm cooking at home. Okay. So I graduated in 92 and started practice. So 30 years ago, some things have really changed Mm -hmm. because I used to have to send patients to specialty stores to get food. And now it's just in a regular grocery store. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you and the nice thing about the nice thing about High V too is we have a, a what we call our health market. Okay. So it's it's just in the grocery store. It's just a different section of the grocery store, and that's where you're going to find a lot of your targeted products. So a lot of the gluten free products are oh, in wow. there. There's um, a lot of dairy free products in there. There are paleo products and um, keto products and stuff like that, which I don't necessarily shop it for that, but a lot of paleo or a lot of uh, keto products are also gluten-free just okay. by happenstance. So sometimes I'll buy stuff from there if I'm looking for a good protein option, but that, you know, it's nice to have, it's nice to have a little section that's just for you. If you've got some specific dietary needs like I do. Oh no, that's awesome. That's awesome. We're talking about special dietary needs. Um, mm-hmm. The one, another reason I wanted to do this interview was the subject of sports nutrition. I can't tell you. I started. Uh, I started powerlifting when I was thirteen, and the amount of BS and garbage information that's gone out. I mean, when I started, believe it or not, bodybuilders and powerlifters and athletes were eating fat free because fat was bad. We had we had these uh, brown Crocs of margarine that we would eat because butter was bad. And, you know, I remember I was in a organic chemistry class in undergrad and I'm like looking at this margarine, I'm like, this is closer to plastic than it is, you know, real food. So there's been so many changes to that. What recommendations would you give like my daughter, Callie, who just ran off to a volleyball practice? I'm trying to give her some basics that she can handle at age 16 in her brain that, um, you know, how to eat for sports. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's hard because every sport's a little bit different and okay. what the body needs for every sport is a little bit different. So, you know, it can depend on, you know, say you're an endurance athlete like myself, okay. say you're a power athlete like yourself or Christian, my husband, who, you know, obviously we both know, um, but it, it, the sport that you're doing and the activity that you're doing and the length of the activity that you're doing can determine specifics when it comes to macronutrients, micronutrients, hydration, all that kind of stuff, that, that balance, when it comes to younger student athletes, high school and below, I tend to focus more on, okay, let's, let's get balance. Let's just look for, you know, balance because a lot of, you know, especially high school kids are eating a lot of just like chips and garbage and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they're not even getting the essentials of what they need to do the sport that they want to do, or even to walk around and succeed at school. Um, So when it comes to younger athletes, like I said, I tend to also, also because when, when they're a younger athlete, body composition is a huge thing, you know, body dysmorphia is a huge thing, over-focusing on weight is a huge thing. So I tend to not focus too much on calories and specific macronutrient percentages, just because it can, one, it can overwhelm them, two, it can potentially lead to, um, you know, 
negative body issues yeah. later on or even you know exacerbate ones that are already there okay so again i tend to keep it simpler let's just look for balance if you know we've got our five food groups let's try it at meal times let's try and get three to five food groups in at a meal so okay. let's get a grain let's get a protein let's get at least a vegetable or a fruit or a dairy item or something like that. The big three I generally try and shoot for is protein, grains, and vegetable okay. or produce item of some sort. Okay. And then, you know, great. If you want to have a glass of milk, have a glass of milk, or you want to have a yogurt, great. Or you want to, you know, throw some olive oil on top, great. But trying to shoot for at least three to five food groups at each meal. And then I would say one to generally two to three food groups at a snack. Um, so maybe it's, you know, apples and peanut butter, okay. maybe it's, okay. um, I do apples and spinach. I call it a, my walking salad. People think mm -hmm. I'm weird, but I just wrap like raw spinach leaves around apple slices and I love it. Super refreshing. Um, but uh, that's a fruit and a vegetable. That's technically okay. two yeah. food groups right there. Right. Maybe it's some carrots and hummus, maybe, you know, so try to encourage, expanding their their palate a little bit and focusing on okay let's try and hit multiple food groups in a meal and not just get one thing or just okay. two things okay because even if you're having like chicken breast and brown rice you're still missing something yeah you yeah. know throw a broccoli in there throw green beans in there something to get more of those micronutrients that you were mentioning before not that you won't get any micronutrients out of that chicken and that um that brown rice, but not in the same concentration that you're going to get from a produce item. Okay. So you're really talking about planning out your nutrition, that you have to have a plan for what you're going to do. Okay. I mean, yes, it helps if you have a plan. Now okay. <laughs> there's times where I don't have a plan, okay. but I will like, I will keep staples in my house that I know are good like I've got microwavable bags of brown rice because okay. it's an easy grain. I don't use it all the time, but if I'm pinched for time, I'm like, great, I got that. I'll grab a rotisserie chicken from the grocery store and I've got a bag of frozen veggies in the freezer. Okay. And in five minutes, I've got a meal. That's, so, that's real easy to do. Yeah, that's super easy. It took hardly any planning. The only planning that it took was to have you know the brown rice on hand or okay. you know but even if you don't you like run to the grocery store in five minutes you've got your three food groups you run home you know and five more minutes you've got dinner okay so yes planning is i don't want to lessen the importance of planning out your food and your meals because that is important and it can really really help you stay on track um but there are you know, occasional shortcuts that you can take if you are, you like didn't quite plan throughout the whole week and you're, you know, running from one, you know, kid's event to the other and you need to just throw something on the table that's not, you know, McDonald's or something. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Well, talk about planning and, and I wanted to address this because I always try to cover in every podcast some controversial subject and we're going to cover a few in this one. But one I really wanted to hit was um, protein requirements for athletes. Um, being a power lifter, and, and I've grown up around bodybuilders, 
I've seen people overeat protein to death. I mean, I know mm -hmm. people now eating 250 grams of protein a day. Um, yeah. I also have friends that were in that bodybuilding and they end up with kidney disease, you know, and, oh, I don't know what's wrong with my kidneys. And I'm like, well, it's all the Advil I took. Well, it could have been all the Advil and 300 grams of protein a day. Um, I personally can't tolerate that much protein. I did an experiment when I was in undergrad where I did 100 grams, 150, 200, 250. And I did those little urine sticks. And at, at 175, I was peeing out protein. I was eating <laughs> protein, which means my body couldn't handle it. And mm -hmm. I've had people get in my face. And these are national champions, uh, uh, top level bodybuilders, pro bodybuilders get in my face. Say, oh, you, you know, you can handle more. You can handle more. And I'm like, you know, I did an experiment. I know what the research says. You know, I start leaking at about 175 and I don't want to stress my kidneys. I feel right. good at about 100, 125, which some people laugh at, at my body weight at 300 pounds. So, I mean, what's the real story about protein? It's the biggest thing in the news. I walk into the grocery store. They're saying this has 13 grams of protein. Everyone's advertising their protein amounts. What's the mm -hmm. real story? So the real story is complicated because okay. Okay. what you need, yes, can depend on one, the sport that you're doing. So somebody who's a power lifter is obviously going to obviously going to need more protein than somebody who's an endurance athlete like myself. Now okay. that doesn't mean I don't need protein. Obviously protein is important for muscle building, for uh, injury healing, you know, tissue structure, all of those kind of things, transport molecules, protein is essential in the body. Um, now in certain sports, obviously, you know, power sports, power lifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, bodybuilding, they tend to put a really big yes. emphasis on protein and yes, protein is important, but yes, there are people who dive so far into it, it, it becomes an extreme mm -hmm. and too much of anything can, you know, cause be detrimental to your body in, in one way or the other. Obviously you saw with, you know, kind of doing your own experiments. Now, not everybody does, is going to do that. You're yeah. kind of a, an outlier when it comes to that kind of thing, but you have a thirst for knowledge. Most people are going to read bodybuilding.com and be like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I need 400, I need 400 yes. grams of protein a day. Right. And that's about as far as they're going to get into the research. They're not going to pay attention to, okay, well, my, you know, what is, what works specifically for my body? Am I getting the results that I want to see from that? Am I seeing, you know, negative side effects from eating that much protein? Um, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah, it's like paying attention to the research. The research shows that the average human body can only process 35 to 44, sometimes 45 grams of protein in one sitting, wow. which means if you're eating hundred grams of protein in one meal, 60 grams of that, give or take, it's just, it's just getting wasted, you know, and it's just excess that he's either going to tax your kidneys or get stored as fat or, you know, any of those kind of things. So it's, it's important to know the difference with what your needs are specifically to your sport, specifically to your body, what's safe, what does the research say? you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. So yes, you know, protein is important. And I, I can't give like a recommendation of this is how much protein you need. 
because everybody's needs are a little bit different. Okay. So, yeah, but there are a lot of people who go to that extreme and overdo it. And then they're, you know, they're seeing negative side effects from it as well. You know, maybe they're seeing some benefit because obviously you're getting the protein in and some of that is going to go towards muscle building, Mm -hmm. but some of that is not. And what is that not part doing is, you know, are you starting to have, you know, kidney issues? Are you starting to, you know, gain weight that's not being, you know, helpful in pushing that weight around or, you know, what, what is your, what are your sources of protein? Are you only focusing on proteins that are really high in saturated fats? That's the concern with the keto diet is, uh, you know, there, there is a, I have helped people through keto diets or generally I do like modified ketogenic diets. Um, if they're really set on trying that. And for some people, it's worked great for weight loss and stuff like that. But my concern, my biggest concern with the keto diet craze is that a lot of the kind of free information, and most people go towards free information first, but free doesn't necessarily mean good. That's true. A lot of the free information I see as far as like food lists and meal ideas and menu samples, it contains a lot of processed meat, a lot of things that contain high amounts of saturated fat, um, which can lead to other issues. You You want to explain saturated and unsaturated fat to the listeners? Yeah. So fat comes in different forms. So when I say saturated fat, so that is, um, it's there. So there's saturated and unsaturated fat. So unsaturated means it's got a double bond. So anybody who's taken kind of basic chemistry will know that, you know, there's a double bond versus single bonds. Um, and then even within unsaturated fats, there's monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats. And that just means how it does it have one double bond or more than one double bond. With saturated fats, there's no double bonds. So it packs in tighter and can cause issues with cholesterol, triglyceride levels. It could, you know, they've found that excessive saturated intake can increase your risk of developing heart disease you know, or any of the heart disease, uh, you know, issues can increase your risk of heart attack, can increase your risk of stroke and high amounts of saturated fat intake actually affects your cholesterol levels more than just consuming cholesterol from foods. So, but the unsaturated fats are what we would consider the healthier fat options. So those are actually heart protected. They're anti-inflammatory. They're really good for your system. They can be great sustain, sustained energy sources. And, you know, so there, there's a difference there. And then uh, sometimes you'll hear the term trans fat too. And trans fats, you absolutely want to stay away from. Most food companies have moved away from using trans fats, but you can still get them, you know, in some foods. If you see things that say hydrogenated vegetable oils or a lot of fried foods have trans fats in them as well. And those ones, can cause real damage in the body, uh, even quicker than saturated fats can. Oh, wow. So that, so that's confusing. You just talked about three kinds of fats and I know Mm -hmm. the average person, they're just, they'll look on the side of the box and it says fat content and that's all they're looking for. Yeah. Right. 
So yeah, that's so good. You gotta look at the, the breakdown is under total fats because most okay. uh, nutrition labels have total fat grams. Okay. And then they'll have grams of saturated fats. A lot of times they'll have grams of trans fats. And then they don't generally list unsaturated fats, but you can do the math. Okay. If there's 10 okay. grams of fat in this product, five grams of saturated fat, zero grams of trans fat, then there's five grams of unsaturated fat. Okay. You know, you just okay. subtract five from 10 and there you go. Well, that's a great tip. That is a great tip. Well, you talked a little bit about keto and I want to get on another controversial thing. All the fad diets. I mean, I remember the watermelon diet, the grapefruit <laughs> diet, um, keto. What was big in, in my time when I was Atkins. in undergrad was the Atkins diet. There's yeah. people downing bacon and T-bones and losing weight. And I always told my friends who tried that, and then eventually my patients and clients that did it, I don't think it's so much the, the chemistry makeup of what you're eating. You're finally looking at how many calories you're taking in. You're finally looking at your diet. And mm -hmm. you're probably taking in less food because you eat a pound of bacon. I don't want to eat for a week, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, let's talk about some of those fad diets. Let's, let's start with keto and, and Atkins. Mm -hmm. So keto and Atkins are, are fairly similar. Okay. Um, they're just, I mean, they're slightly different in the percentage breakdown, but essentially they're both low carb diets. Okay. When you, you know, when push comes to shove, they're both low carb diets so just by different names. Um, keto is much more fat focused. Atkins is a little bit more protein and fat focused. Okay. So there are, you know, some minute differences there. The, the concern with any fad diet is it generally pushes away from balance. And so there are nutrients that you'll be missing. So okay. especially in a ketogenic diet with how low the, the traditional, so there are different forms of ketogenic diet, but okay. the traditional one that most people do, the amount of carbs that you're allowed in a day is so low that you can't even get, most people can't even get their daily recommended recommendation of fruits and vegetables in with that. Wow. So they're missing out on all those micronutrients that are important for the body to, you know, function properly. Okay. I mm -hmm. like to think of the micronutrients. I like to think of the body as a clock. So okay. like the macronutrients are those big cogs and the micronutrients are like the little ones. Okay. And they may yeah. not seem important, but as soon as you take one of those little cogs out, the whole clock is not working properly. Correct. Yeah. Right. So I like that analogy, especially when I'm working with kids because, okay. you know, then they kind of helps them understand that. But even with, with adults, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you don't have that piece. So with a lot of the, the fad diets that there are out there, whether, yeah, whether it's the watermelon diet, yeah, great. You're getting vitamins and minerals from the watermelon, but where's your protein? Where's your healthy yeah. fats? Vita the watermelon doesn't have all the vitamins and minerals that your body needs, yeah. you know, so extremes one way or the other can cause issues and can cause nutrient gaps in okay. your diet, okay. which can then lead to other issues. The other problem with a lot of the fat diets is they're not sustainable. They're not sustainable long-term. Mm -hmm. Sure. You follow it for, you know, a few weeks. Sometimes people are able to follow it for a couple months. 
yeah, they're paying attention, they're exercising, they're doing all this other stuff, which is helping them lose weight. Yes. And then they're like, I can't do this anymore. And then they stop, or maybe they hit their goal and they're like, great, I'm done. And then they go back to how they were eating before. And then more often than not, people then regain that weight yeah. and go back to how they were before. And in, in some cases, gain even more weight than where they were at before. And then you get people that are on this roller coaster ride of weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, which can be just as dangerous as just being at a, a heavier weight. So it's it generally it's not sustainable. Many of them are not balanced. So you're missing out on nutrients that your body actually needs to function properly. And, you know, in some cases it can actually be dangerous. And it the same Again, I like to approach everybody as an individual and everybody's body as it's their own individual body. And what you need is not necessarily going to be the same as the person standing next to you. So your okay. second cousin who's like, I did keto and lost 50 pounds, you got to do it. They don't have the same body as you do. The other thing I see often is with the ketogenic diet is most of the success stories that you hear come from men. Yes. Not from yes. women. Yes. And that's because me, the men's bodies are different from women's bodies. And unfortunately, most of the research that's out there, most of the, the recommendations as far as like different diets, even in sports nutrition, most of the recommendations are based off of men. Oh, wow. The studies I are done on wow. male individuals. Okay. And then it's just automatically assumed that then it applies to everybody. And there's very, very little research out there focused on women and women's bodies and what the female body needs and what the female athlete, the athlete, you know, female body needs. So keeping that in mind that just because you know, Joe from the gym's like, yeah, this is great. Doesn't mean that it's going to work for, you know, somebody who's got a female body. Okay. Wow. That, that, that is a, a revelation for me because I know that most of the women I've worked with over the last few decades, they need lower protein. They need lower protein than a man. And I always translated to testosterone level, you know, men's are higher. You know, yeah, and it's not necessarily testosterone okay. level either. It's also, you know, what what the body can handle. And in certain cases, it may not, and it may not necessarily be lower too, because okay. um, some studies have shown that the male body is a little bit more efficient at processing protein than okay. the female body. So in some cases, depending on the the female and what sport they're doing and stuff like that. They may need a little, you know, extra boost or something here or there to get them over that, you know, threshold so that they get the most out of their, you know, muscle protein synthesis. Okay. Or MPS as we call it. Okay. Wow. Those are some revelations. But again, it really is. It's very dependent. So let's cover two. As we finish up here, let's cover two or three uh, more fad diets and then a big one that, well, let's go to the big one first. Um, <laughs> okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger and a bunch of people put out a video. Um, basically it's a movie about yep, how I saw it. You I can, watched it. Yeah. You can 
you can get everything with a plant-based or vegetarian diet. I like how they changed the name because vegetarian had a lot of negative connotations. So mm -hmm. is it true? Plant-based is a very big term right now. Okay, yeah. So so is, is it okay to, to live and thrive? I, I don't mean just survive, but thrive on a plant-based diet today in 2022. Yes. 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 Okay. Can you? I would say yes. However, okay, it takes a lot more work. Okay. Explain and that. you can't just. And I I've seen this a lot in the past too when I've when I've worked with people who all of a sudden you know decide well I'm gonna be a vegetarian or I'm yes. gonna be a vegan but they didn't really look into it and so they just stopped eating meat and all they're eating is bread. Yes. And I'm like, well, that. <sighs> <laughs> You can, yes, you absolutely can thrive. You can be healthy. You can be balanced on a plant-based or vegetarian or vegan diet, but it does take a lot more planning and it does take a lot more work. Okay. So that's an important piece. You can't just go into it being like, okay, I'm just going to stop buying meat and I'm just going to assume everything's going to be hunky-dory. Um, I've seen people switch to a vegetarian diet and gain weight. I've seen people wow. switch to a vegetarian diet and have increased cholesterol. I've seen people switch to a vegetarian diet and, you know, increase the, end up developing diabetes or insulin resistance or at least pre-diabetes because it's, again, it's about balance. If you okay. don't have that balance, then it's not going to be healthy or good for your body. Okay. You know, like I said, a lot of, I, I have seen a lot of people jump into a plant-based or vegetarian or vegan diet, whatever you want to call it. Obviously there's a difference between vegetarian and vegan. Vegetarians will eat some animal products. Okay. Vegans, absolutely none. Like vegans don't even eat honey because it comes from an animal. Oh, wow. But, okay. Yeah. It, I mean, if you're hundred percent truly vegan, but so, but there is, you have to keep in mind that not all plant-based proteins are complete. There are a couple that are, there are some plant-based proteins that are complete, but most are not okay. with that. What I mean by complete is, um, protein is made up of what we call amino acids. Okay. So those are the, the, the building blocks of that protein molecule. And there's nine essential amino acids. And when I say essential, it means that your body cannot produce them on, your, on its own. You have to get them from food sources. Okay, okay. Um, and your body needs all nine of those for different reasons throughout the body. When most plant-based proteins are not complete, meaning they either don't contain all nine essential amino acids or not in proper amounts or whatever it is. Um, and so when you're following a plant-based diet, I'll just say plant-based diet for the sake of the conversation. It's about pairing different plant-based proteins, creating variety and balance throughout the day so that you're not just eating brown rice as your source of protein all day. You're not just eating beans as your source of protein all day because you're going to miss something. Now, things like soy, soy is a plant-based protein that is complete, which is nice. So if you're not doing cow's milk, you could do soy milk. And that's the, that's the plant-based milk that is most closely, mo most closely resembles cow's milk when it comes to protein and nutrient content. Okay. Um, now, you know, that 
if you need milk, you know, that, that, that is an option. There's lots of other options out there. I like almond milk. It's my favorite because cow's milk does not agree with me, but I make sure I know, you know, I'm not following a plant only based diet. I do eat protein, you know, from meat sources. So I'm getting what I'm not getting from cow's milk, you know, and not getting from the almond milk I get from other sources. Um, and then, you know, so it's really about pairing things up, creating that variety, spreading things out throughout the day so that you're still getting a balance of those nutrients. You're getting a balance of those proteins, those, even those plant-based proteins. And then it's also about portion size because okay. you can't just eat, you know, 10 pounds of bread and be like, yeah, I ate plant-based and it's awesome. You know, cause 10 pounds of bread in one day is a lot of bread. That's a lot of carbs. And just like too much protein can be an issue. Too much carbs can be an issue too. Too much fat can be an issue. So it's, it's really about finding that balance amongst all those um, nutrients, which does get a little bit more challenging when you're following a, a plant-based diet, but it's not impossible. It just takes a little bit more work, a little bit more planning, a little bit more focus on variety and kind of pairing up different plant-based proteins. Okay. Okay. Well, that answers that question. And there's another fad that, you know, just drives me crazy. <laughs> I, I know it, where you're going with this. Intermittent fasting. What, I do it. I what, do it. <laughs> what the hell? I am going to skip eating for 12, 16 hours. And then I have a window, a time period that I have to get all my calories in, all my proteins, all my carbs all my fats. And after that, I can't eat anymore. What the heck is that? Okay. So intermittent fasting is, is a big term and it encompasses a lot of different things. There's not okay. one okay. way to intermittent fast. Okay. Now keep okay. that in mind. So there it's kind of a big buzzword that has a lot of different branches underneath it. Okay. Um, so you'll see people who are intermittent fasting one day, they eat whatever they want. The next day they can only eat 500 calories, right? That's <laughs> one way to do it. Then there's like, then there's, um, you know, they're not eating breakfast and then they eat lunch and dinner or they, you know, so there's, you know, or their, their window rotates or whatever. And then there's, you know, people who tell me they're doing intermittent fasting and I'm like, okay, great. You know, or, tell me a little bit more. What does that mean to you? What are you doing? You know, like, well, I have like an eating window. Like, okay, great. What's your eating window? And they're going, well, I only eat between nine and five or nine and six or, or 10 and six or whatever it is. That's, that's all day. And I'm like, okay. And do you just like eat throughout the entire day or do you have me? Oh no, I eat like three meals and maybe a snack or two. And I'm like, Okay, so you're eating a normal diet. Yep. <laughs> but they put this term of intermittent fasting on it. And okay. and they've done a lot of research around that intermittent fasting. And there was a research study that just recently came out too about it. But it was about there was, you know, is it fairly normal, like 10, 10 to 12 hour eating window? And that's the intermittent fasting, you know, is that, okay, they could only eat in this 12 hour window, but I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's the day that's, that's normal. That's a whole day. That's a whole day of food. And so, you know, but for some people it helps to put 
kind of, you know, parameters. Okay. So, you know, and, and so for me, it's for a lot of what I've seen for a lot of people, it's, it's that kind of mental game. If they put those parameters on, then that helps them kind of stay. So maybe they're a late night snacker and okay. they, they okay. just like snack, 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 snack. And that's kind of their biggest thing that they're trying to get over. If they have these parameters that they're trying to stay in, then that could be really helpful for them. You know, and they could see a lot of great success with that. If they want to call it intermittent fasting, great. If you would just want to call it, I'm not going to eat after six, great. I, you know, whatever it is, right? So, you know, a lot of people, it, again, you get these buzzwords and these, you know, these terminal, these terms that people tend to cherry pick from, or they they just assume it means one thing, but it actually encompasses a lot of different things. And yeah, people are, talk about, well, the research with intermittent fasting shows that it, you know, it helps with this, it helps with blood pressure or uh, blood sugar control, it helps with weight loss. True. But the majority of those studies are looking at a pretty normal eating window. Okay. With balanced meals. Is wow. the thing. So it, you have to keep that in mind and not just cherry pick information out of a study like they often do in the media where they're like, oh, they saw this one, you know, sentence that really hits. And that's what you get from the media. And it's like, well, if you actually looked at the whole study, then you would also see this and this and this, or you might see that the study was done on 10 people from this one town <laughs> in Ohio. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't necessarily apply to you. Yeah. Well, if you look at, I'll, I'll call the uh, small town farmer's diet. They get up in the morning, they do their chores. They're up at four or five. They do their chores. They get back at seven, have a big breakfast. They go back out. They have a big lunch. And when the sun starts going down, they finish their dinner. They have 12 hours that they're not eating. Is that intermittent fasting? Of course it is because they, they limit it. And I, I said, that's normal eating, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're getting all their yeah. calories and nutrients. So for me, when I see that, I have to ask more. It's like, is it a two hour window? Is it a four hour window? Right. You know? And that's why, yeah, I always ask when somebody tells me they're intermittent fasting, I always start just asking more questions about it. Not judging because, you know, it, you don't know. Just yeah. for the term intermittent yeah. fasting, you don't know what they're doing. And I mean, to be honest, it's not my place to judge. I'm here to help. Yeah. So I'm, you, know, you could tell me that you're doing the cabbage soup diet. And I'd be like, okay, well, how, what have you seen from that? You know, yeah. what does that entail? Ha, you know, are you getting the results that you want to see? How do you feel? You know, just trying to ask questions to see, you know, to get somebody to express to me, you know, what does that mean? where are they at? Are they seeing the results they want to see? Are they feeling okay? You know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's not about judging. It's about meeting somebody where they're at and then kind of helping them figure out the best path towards whatever their goals might be. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So as we finish up earlier, thank you for being on. This is amazing. Um, you know, where can someone go to get real information? Because there's so much bro science and pseudoscience on the internet. I mean, mm -hmm. you put in protein or keto, you get barraged with, with oh, yeah. misinformation. And if you're not educated like you or me, 
um, it's like, whoa, 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 this must be real. It's in print, you know? Yeah. Um, where would you suggest the audience go to start learning a little bo- bit more about nutrition? I would say, first and foremost, a nutrition expert okay. like myself, a registered dietitian. Again, you don't have to go see a registered dietitian only if you have a certain ailment. You can go to a registered dietitian to just get an idea of, okay, what are next steps? What would be healthy, you know, thing, small healthy steps to make or, okay. you know, what, what might be best for my body or, you know, what is the next best step towards reaching my goal, whatever it is. So I would say first and foremost, a nutrition expert. And again, I, you know, go back to making sure it's an accredited nutrition expert, like a registered dietitian, somebody who's had the, the training, the education, the, the certification to practice. Even if you're just looking for, you know, general nutrition recommendations and not necessarily for health issue, you know, you're going to get the best, most accurate information from a registered dietitian, uh, nutrition professional, because not only have we had to do all this schooling and sit for an exam, but we also have to maintain continuing education credits, which means we're constantly reading the most recent research books that are being printed. We're taking seminars. We're, you know, doing certifications. Recently, I've been looking into doing the Monash University FODMAP uh, training course, which is, is, it's a a big undertaking, but I work with a lot of people with digestive issues. So, um, and I I do a lot of work with FODMAP. I just want to get the actual certification behind my name. But, you know, so we're constantly doing continuing education and, and seeing how science is changing, what the research is saying, you know, and, and not just snippets that you can find online. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say a nutrition professional. And if you don't necessarily want to go to an outpatient clinic, you can come to a registered dietitian. You can find them, you know, online. There's a lot of registered dietitians okay. that have private practices. And then, like I said, I work for hy V. I write the grocery store. Wow. So you can just come to me. And like I said, I do free grocery store tours. We have other uh, virtual classes that we offer online. We've got wellness Wednesday classes that are free. They're just like free half hour seminars every Wednesday at noon on a variety of different topics and they're dietitian led. So, and we do hit a lot of those buzz topics too. Um, we have uh, freezer meal prep classes. I do nutrition counseling. We have meal planning programs. Wow. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of resources out there available right where you buy your food, honestly. Um, you know, and now, if you're not ready to talk to a registered dietitian, like I said, you could try one of the classes. You could, you know, yes, there are a lot, there is a lot of information on the internet, but I would look for peer-reviewed articles that are either on PubMed. Now, most, most, most people, the average person is not going to have access to full articles on PubMed because it's a subscription. But if you're really into it, you could get a subscription. And yeah. start reading, yeah. you know, peer-reviewed research articles that way and actually get the whole picture instead of just the snippet that's available through the media or on some random health website or whatever it is. Okay. So, 
Oh, that, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you for spending this hour with us. This has been fantastic. Um, oh, it's my pleasure. It's so much fun. I'm going to have to bring you back because obviously this subject is bigger um, than an hour to give it just an hour. Um, what would you, I would love to come back. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, one more thing I want to co- hear from you. And I tell patients this all the time, whether you have an orthopedic knee injury or heart condition or liver or kidneys or, or you're trying to build your immune system to fight off some crazy virus. Um, I always tell people you can take back control of your health if you take back control of what you eat. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be certain cases like liver kidney disease that, I mean, the liver actually, the liver is really great at repairing itself and you can, you know, survive on just a little tiny piece of, of liver, but you know, there's certain things like, yes, there is a, a maybe you're past the point of no return where your kidney function can't be repaired and your only option is transplant. But even after transplant, you got to keep that new kidney healthy, right? You got to keep that new organ healthy, whatever it is that you got. And part of that's going to be food. I mean, I, my motto is it's always easier to prevent than it is to treat. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Getting to the point where you can prevent something as opposed to having to treat it after the fact. So say you go in, I have, I've had people that go in and they get the diagnosis of pre-diabetes and they freak out and they're like, Oh my God, I've got to get diabetes. I've got that. It's no, you don't have diabetes. You have pre-diabetes and we can correct it. We can correct it with food. We can correct it with exercise. We can correct it with lifestyle changes. And there are plenty of people who got that pre-diabetes diagnosis and they're like, no, 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 no. I'm making changes now. And they have reversed it and never developed diabetes and even, you know, improved and are no longer considered pre-diabetic. So you can protect and restore much of your health with making changes to your food and other lifestyle things. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, you have a fantastic day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.